subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 30th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Nine days out from the vote and the leaders of the political parties will debate the issues on television once again tonight. The debate will move to the Virgin Media Studios when seven of the country's top politicians will hope to use the opportunity to sway public opinion as the general election moves into its closing phase. Between now and the 8th of February, we hope to hear from each of the local candidates in your constituency through our roundtable debates and our next one of those debates will take place just after 10 o'clock this morning and also through our getting to know you one-to-one interviews with each of the candidates or as many of them as possible between now and the 8th of February. Damien English is a candidate for Fine Gael in Mead West. He's a sitting TD and Minister of State at the Department of Housing. He joins us in studio this morning and a very good morning to you, Minister, and thanks for coming in to us. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling us uh, why you believe people should vote Damien English number one. Okay, thanks Michael for having me on and the opportunity to, to, to engage with you and also look for support from the wider public. And from in my view, I believe I'm one of the, the, the most experienced candidates offering himself to be a TD in County Mead, in Mead West. Um, I've been working actively over the last probably uh, three or four elections with a very strong team in Mead West, providing, I think, a, a daily service to our two offices in Avon and Trim and engaging right throughout the community as well, trying to engage with people locally with their own issues, their own difficulties, trying to find solutions to their individual problems, but also working with community groups, working with businesses, working with the education sector, the health sector, and all the different areas, trying to make sure they get their resources and their fair share of the tax take in this country as well. I believe I have the experience uh, to be an mm. effective TD and to continue to deliver for Mead West, but also to make decisions on behalf of people's on behalf of the people of Mead West in Dáil and hopefully in government again 
if we get the opportunity. I do believe that the longer you're, you're there, the more experience you gather. I've been lucky to start a politics quite young, to have served as a councillor, to have worked on committees, to have been in opposition working for many years. I understand the difficulties mm. of opposition. You were also, the youngest TD in the Dáil. I, I was. I probably still yeah, am yeah, yeah. nearly one of the youngest, but I was one of the youngest when yeah. I first started. But I've been lucky enough during those years to, to have worked in very engaging portfolios. I worked with Michael Noonan in finance. I worked with Richard Bruton in jobs as a junior minister. Mm. Worked in the housing brief. So there have always been difficult briefs, but I've learned a lot. And I do believe I've been effective um, and I certainly have tried to be. I have the energy and the commitment to, to keep going on this and I really, really enjoy it. And I feel strongly and passionate mm. about politics that it is about finding solutions, solving problems. It doesn't mean we get everything right. It doesn't mean that we get everything perfectly right. There's still plenty of work to do. But politics is a, is an, is a business that you have to keep going at, keep working with groups. And I'm, I'm delighted over the years I've worked with different people, new people, new councils coming in and been able to work cross-party too because I think it's important to make effective decision making mm. you have to be able to listen to and to work mm. and yet of course I'll fight my corner I'll fight me west corner yeah. but I'll also listen to people as well You I challenged Senator Kenny uh, you were on the wrong side of that debate uh, do you think uh, his gratitude for your betrayal was shown by uh, being given a, a position in housing uh, it was a poison chance wasn't it? <laughs> I actually asked for it to be honest with you um, I know I didn't uh, I've never betrayed anybody in my life uh, I've worked closely with Andy Kenny uh, and, and many many years ago I didn't feel that he was, he would would have been the right person. I always said to him actually that I thought he'd be an excellent Taoiseach. Uh, my fear at the time was that he mightn't get to be Taoiseach. Mm. It turned out I was right. He was an excellent Taoiseach, which led this country uh, through very, very difficult times. And I, I understand they were very difficult for people as well. And not everyone will remember Enda Kenny fondly, but he had mm. a job to do. And I believe we're on a much better footing as a country now because of that. So again, I've been working, lucky to work with Enda. And you're right, he he got over that I didn't support him and and mm. gave me a job in at the first of all in enterprise and education. Where I was able to influence a lot around the jobs policy and certainly benefit Mead West by that connection with the IDA, with Enterprise Ireland, and to strengthen the relationship with Mead County Council to secure new jobs for the county. But also for me, I've always found education to be a very, very important area. And I got a chance to work in the education portfolio and to make sure that, that the Mead schools, the Mead West schools, got their share, fair share of money to, to, for the extensions mm. for the new schools, be it Longwood, be it Enfield, mm. be it Navin, be it Eureka and mm. Kells, places Where that were needed. children can't get places Well, no, no, oh, no, I'm happy to come into that now, but I think we've made sure to respond to make sure that we're in most places. Mm. We're ahead of the game with extensions and with new schools. There is an issue in some schools, and mm. every year... Uh, something will pop up this year. Oversubscribed by a classful, yeah. Well, mm. Michael, I've sat down uh, with the principal uh, of the Trim School mm. and we, we were able mm. to intervene there. Yeah. I mean, myself and Joe McHugh, the Minister of Education mm. in November, uh, got, got stuck in meeting with the school, meeting with the board, mm. give a commitment that the new extension will be fast-tracked and it'll still take a couple of years to build. Yeah, so we're, yeah, so, in, so we're in, prepared in to put in meanwhile, a 12-year-old boy has a place in the school and his 12-year-old twin yeah, doesn't. But, but just to be clear, I mean, come on. Okay, Michael, the, today, this is January. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about September 2020. That school are engaging with the Department of Education yeah. around temporary facilities. I believe there's ample time now to resolve this and that we will. And Joe McHugh was gave... Well, Tw- 12 years ago, people knew these children came into the world. Uh, uh, they were recorded officially mm, by the state by their birth certificates. Yeah. When they went to primary school, yes. their existence was known. Uh, and that is the job of governments and their civil servants mm. to plan. And that's why that's why this only, only a month ago we announced yeah. the new school for Enfield mm. because we are planning. And just to be clear, that was something that was planned in 2016 when I was a Minister of Education mm. because we could see the trends and the figures. And thankfully the Department of Education now do use birth certs, do use figures. And they had advised that Trimbody But you schools. just said a moment ago that we knew that these children were born 12 years ago yeah. but in 8 months from now uh, we may be able to 
No, I, I, I believe shore up the problem that no. we didn't foresee. No, I believe. I'm we, sure that's crazy. I believe we can we can address that. The, for for some strange reason, uh, uh, there was a delay with the mm. delivery of a new of a new of a new extension for that school in Trim. We now need to. Now that I'm aware of that and I'm working with them, I'll make sure we fast track. But that's to the get point. That's the point. Yeah, but but, yeah, I mean, but Michael, when it comes to my desk, I get involved in solving it. It was brought to my desk in November, and I've engaged with that. Likewise, the schools in Avon that came to my attention many years ago, and we got involved and got mm. them through the system, and they're now being built. Mm. Other schools get stuck in the planning system, but I believe okay. that we've an, an increase of 220 million spent in education and Mead over the last couple of okay, years. Okay, but, my but the, the point about important. the success that you brought about in terms of getting school places, I think, has backfired. On you. you talk about the success in getting jobs locally in one of the constituencies where more people commute than anywhere else. Yeah, well, the two things there, first of all, was that... Uh, Does the IDA even visit oh, well, Mead West? Well, Michael, I think now that people can see for themselves the massive improvement with the IDA services in County Mead. I mean, you have Facebook and Shire, two massive developments mm. there in County Mead. And that's enabled they're us... They're in Mead East, are they? The, no, they're, well, they're Practically in, in Dublin, well, anyway. So, sorry, yeah. Michael. I mean, to, for, for me, it's County mm. Mead, yeah. right? Mm. And I've worked with the IDA, worked with Mead County Council and Enterprise Ireland to, to, and the Mead Chamber as well to, to secure and win jobs and just the, the, mm. the facts are Well then you're that, not listening to people well, well, Minister, because they're saying we're fed up in our cars oh, no, no, we're, no, fed, no, we're, we're fed up saying absolutely. goodbye to our children at five, yeah, no, half five, six o'clock in the morning and, and, and not and, seeing them uh, till the next morning because and, they're in bed when we come home Okay and, and so Michael just to be clear mm. I'm one of those people so mm. I totally understand this and, and I leave the house many mornings as well at half mm. five, six o'clock in the morning and I've got four young children so I know what it's like and we have to address this but it's a two-pronged approach first of all we had to get jobs into this country and thankfully unemployment in Mead, Mead East and Mead West is down by over 70% under our watch. That's not where it was seven or eight years ago. But now we need to have more jobs in our counties. Now, what I'm saying to you is there's been some new success and some flagship companies and out of that other companies are now coming into County Mead. I'm very confident, very ambitious. We had a good meeting yesterday with the Mead Chamber that we will win and secure more jobs in, in County Mead. I've no doubt about that. We've uh, A couple of million being invested now in the Bayon Valley Food Innovation Hub. That will help secure more jobs, more companies in County Mead. But more importantly, while we do all we can mm. to bring more jobs in, and under my work in the planning department, we are planning for that now on the mm. Project 2040 as well. But we still also have to recognise that there are some jobs that will be outside the county mm. and we have to strengthen the commuter links. Well, that's and that's thing. why we're into yeah. buses and rails. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, the, 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 the buses have quadrupled over the last couple of years yeah, leaving our county, which is... The train never to came to Navan. I, I think along with the hospital, that was one of the things uh, that you promised the last oh, no. time around. Oh, and and you've had nine years. You've no, had no. your go for nine years. Okay. People are still in their cars. Children still can't get to, school To places. be fair, Michael, yeah, I've never promised the railway line. I have said, so we should have a railway line. I said I will work for it mm. and prioritise it. And for many, many years I did that. Other parties, and I'll be clear, Fianna Fáil, misled people and promised and told them the train was coming. I have never done that. Um, and where the train is at today, it was part of my work to put it back on track. And that's why the, the National Transport Authority, who I meet on a regular basis now, in conjunction with the Department of Transport, because we've mm. lobbied hard with Minister Ross, have put it back on the agenda. They're now doing that study. When that study is complete, and mm. I expect it will recommend that the train goes ahead into Mead, then on the Project 2040, Pascal Dunham has told me mm. the pot of money is there, taxpayers' money, to allocate, if a government of the day, mm. I, I can't say who'll be in government next, their, their job is to allocate that capital money. But we hadn't know Noel Dempsey million. as Minister, hadn't Fianna Fáil uh, during Noel Dempsey's time as Minister committed to the rail line coming to Navan and didn't Fine Gael scrap that? To be very clear, Noel Dempsey and Fianna Fáil committed a lot of things in this mm. country. And one is, I was ne- I'd nearly say a crime in the mm. way they left this country. They announced it was coming to Navan. They didn't produce any money for it. 
And when I came into government, there was no money in this country for any capital projects. We were minus 20 billion every year. Thankfully now, capital spend is up nearly 70 or 80 percent. And in the, in the future, mm. a couple of years, it is up. And we now have that pot of money that can build the railway line. Mm. So we need to get it back on track. We need to get it through the planning permission, through procurement and all that. And, and I believe we can have a railway line. And that's something that I would be working on. All my life I've worked on mm. it. But when I was there in government, there was no money. I wish there was. Okay. Um, but now there is money and Ms. we have to get it. Do you want to talk uh, about uh, the latest homeless figures? Uh, it's an improvement. Mm. Are you encouraged by that? I think, Michael, what I'm encouraged by, and we've had a lot of these conversations mm. here where there's been some months an improvement and other yep. months it, it goes the other way. I think when there's still 1,500 families who don't have a house, we have a lot of work to do here. What What is, is happening and what I'm, I'm happy to track we put in place a five-year housing plan mm-hmm. and we said we would address all the issues of housing, including homelessness, including a sustainable construction sector, affordable housing, private housing, mm-hmm. all those different categories we would address in a five-year plan. Okay. We've just completed three mm-hmm. years of that and we can now see the benefits of that work. There has been 21,000 built in this country mm-hmm. last year. There has been over 10,000 new social houses, Mead, another 1,000 houses this year brought into the system, Loud, mm-hmm. something similar. Nowhere near enough, though. I mean, as you it's, say, by your yeah, own admission, exactly. as you said a moment ago, 1,500 families, I think, yeah. It's 1,548 families, isn't it? Yeah, but under under my time in housing, 11,000 people have left a homeless situation and are now in a home. Of course, it's not Mm. enough. That's why we have to build more houses. And all my work over the last couple of years was to was to work with all the sectors to Mm. build more houses. And people now can see the results of that. You didn't build enough houses. Well, I don't have much pen. We're, we're not seeing the results. Well, we, were, we were seeing 3,422 children who were homeless. Yeah, there are 1,500 families and and most reasonable people, because it's a big issue on the doors, you are right, and I'm having these conversations mm. on a daily basis on the doors, explaining to people what we're doing with their taxpayers' mm. money, how we're intervening and what we're doing. And I've, I've brought people through the system that we had to, literally we had to start at zero. Mm. Local authorities had stopped building houses. Uh, other governments can explain for that. I can just say what I've worked on. We put local authorities back building houses. And Mead, in, in, Mead and Loud, but Mead certainly over the last two years, has been over 3,400 new houses in County mm. Mead. Finnegale has been in office for nine years. You said that you'd solved this problem. It's got worse, not just year on year, but month on month. For I, the first time uh, in nine years, we're seeing a very small improvement in that there's 40 fewer people who are homeless mm. than would have been the case a year a, previously. A, a year on year, there's yeah. about a 9% reduction mm. in, in families on who are waiting for a house. There's also nearly a 10% reduction in those presenting as homeless. Because of the work we started three years ago, because this work started uh, in August 16. So it's just over three years now of mm-hmm. intervening. Thousands of families, nearly 100,000 families, close of, um, have been helped through rebuilding Ireland mm-hmm. into a home. Okay? It's not enough. Nobody mm-hmm. ever says it. When, when there's a family tonight who don't have a house mm-hmm. and living in an emergency accommodation, that's not enough. So my work will continue and I am determined to fix it. What I do know is we've three years done if we complete this plan mm. I have no doubt about it we will have solved the housing situation in this country and I have no doubt about that because it's a five year plan and I look at it every week every month and we track it what's happening it is delivering where it has to deliver the presentations are still extremely high a number of people who are becoming homeless that's mm. dropped a lot in the last couple of months which is a positive which means it gives us a chance now to be able to intervene and get ahead of the figures but most importantly local authorities are back 
building council houses, what they always did in the past and were stopped by previous governments mm, and now they're back doing their job. But nowhere near enough, they say. But they are going to be doing enough because, again, you build on their progress. Mm. I think, Michael, to be fair to any local authority or to any government, you will not go from practically zero to 10,000 in one night or one week. Mm. Uh, we've gone from practically zero up to 10,000 in three years. Okay, this year there will be 11,000 new social houses built. Next year we've set aside the money for 12,000. That's the level you need to be at every year. We have committed, and I'm glad other parties have come to the table now with commitments as well, but we have put in place the plan, the delivery, the actions to actually make it happen. And this year, with taxpayers' money, the highest ever social housing bill programme will happen in this country, and you'll have over 11,000 new homes. Mm. And that's the way to go. But we also have to intervene but with But people can choose housing. between that and pledges to build 20,000 homes. They, and, and I would ask people to really look at those pledges and mm. analyse those figures. What I can say to you is uh, ours has built an, an incremental plan of action over the last three years. I haven't plucked figures from the sky. Uh, we have put plans in place mm. and have made it happen. And across 300 sites today, you can go and look at the 7,500 houses under construction as we talk, so social housing. But also, independent of government, the CSO has confirmed last year 21,500 new houses in the system. When I started in housing, mm. it was less than 5,000 houses being built in the country. So mm. it's absolutely, it's not enough. And trust me, uh, I know what it's like to try to manage our family in your own home. Trying to look after a family in somebody else's home or in an emergency situation is not a nice place to be. So we have a lot of work to do here. But I do believe mm. if we stick to this plan and keep allocating taxpayers' money to the situation, intervening in a clever way, we will be able to solve this. Well, there's no doubt about it. Whichever parties form uh, the next government will have a, a lot of work to and, do and, in respect. And, no, they'll have a lot, of, yes, yeah, but, but yeah, they're yeah. in a good position to continue the work okay. we started. Absolutely, okay. parties mm-hmm. might want to tweak and change mm-hmm. that, but I think the gist of this is local authorities building social houses, and that's the key, and they're doing that. We have to leave it there, but thank you indeed uh, for coming in to us uh, this morning. Damien English, uh, Fine Gael, candidate in Meath West, outgoing TD and Minister of State at the Department of Housing. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, I just want to read out a, a little bit of a, a victim impact statement uh, from a woman who uh, had a terminal cancer. She was 76 years of age. Uh, this is Bridget McLaughlin, who made the statement just before she passed away. It was read out in Letterkenny Circuit Court yesterday, and you can read it yourself in the Irish Independent today in Stephen Maguire's report. But uh, it follows uh, a case uh, in which uh, 20,000 euro was stolen from Bridget. Uh, she didn't like having money in the bank and didn't trust it, so she had it in biscuit tins in the house and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, the money was stolen off her by a carer and her victim impact statement, which was read to the court yesterday after her death, said it is now not how I imagined I would spend my last precious time and to end my life on this earth feeling sad and betrayed and possibly even now while you are reading this I will have passed away. It's in God's hands but I want you to know of my disgust at Marjorie Gallagher and what she has done to our family. She's robbed us over and over again and lied to us over and over again. When I was so weak and so sick, she went through my home and stole my savings that Packy, my dear husband, may he rest in peace, and myself worked very hard for 
all of her lives. The money which was stolen was to be left to her grandchildren in her will and it has been recouped because the family of the accused has managed to raise €20,000 and give it to the family line with the late Bridget McLaughlin's wishes. But it does tell a story in itself. Let's talk about this with Mairead Hayes, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. A very good morning to you, Mairead. Uh, to you, Michael, and your listeners as well. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's a heartbreaking story, if ever oh, that's it was. so sad. It's so sad. And um, it's one of the areas that um, for a long time now we have been saying, don't keep money at home. Mm. But then, on the other hand, we're hearing all kinds of stories. Like we've had phone calls this week about people saying they're being charged for taking their money out of the bank. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's very hard to know what to do um, in those circumstances. But I think that um, a lot of people aren't strong-willed enough if they are exposed to temptation, you know. And mm. I mean, that's heartbreaking, what, breaking what that woman Absolutely, said. Yeah. But like we would urge everybody not to have money in their homes. I mean, it's so, so important. It it highlights as well how vulnerable people can be and how vulnerable people can be in their own homes. And it's one of 11 issues uh, that is being looked at by the Law Reform Commission. And it's suggesting where somebody may be violent or maybe vulnerable in their own home, uh, that uh, the state should be able to intervene uh, and apply uh, a domestic violence-style barring order on somebody uh, who may be putting that person at risk or the person at risk of uh, being subjected to abuse like this. Well, it's very interesting. I think that um, sometimes panic reactions can make bad laws, but I have noticed over... Um, a period of time now that uh, reported in the newspapers and not so much maybe on radio but um, uh, parents applying for barring orders against children who have been living with them because they have perhaps been forced to come back into the home um, for whatever reason and usually um, uh, they may have left uh, some of them with very good intentions but others because perhaps they weren't feeling the best and there there are areas like that that need to be um, that need to be addressed because it is it is terrible when somebody has to go and get a barring order against their own son or daughter because of what is happening within the mm. home but I think that one of the areas um, and the Law Reform Commission as you said are looking at this whole area and they have like the Assisted Decision Making Capacity Act was brought in in 2015 but it has been very slow now to come to its final area because this is so complex but what we have been doing and we had an interesting debate with some of our board about this would you believe on Tuesday ever before I knew I was going to be speaking to you about it Mm -hmm. and a number of them have made um, assistant you know they have made um, arrangements for enduring powers of attorney to give people over their money and also the health directives about what should happen and interestingly in our discussion it emerged that people had tried to pick a different person for each thing because the person perhaps that you would like to look after your health mightn't be the person that you want to look after your money. So they are there. But I think um, there there has been um, a reluctance perhaps or too many areas are being looked at in terms of the consequences because I think when you put something out there, um, yes, somebody can like mm. somebody can abuse it mm. so um i think people should be encouraged to revise what they've done 
But one of the areas that emerged as well in the discussion was the cost. Like, um, like it, it differed between country and Dublin in that discussion we had. Mm. And um, Because one of the things they're looking at is establishing a, a statutory body which would have the power to enter people's homes or may have the power to enter people's homes on foot of a court order. But to establish such a, a body would require funding and ongoing funding. Yes, it would. And um, one of the things is that one would expect that in relation to um, health, perhaps, that um, your GP would be made aware that you had filled out, um, that you had signified your wishes and whatever. And then how do you start to build the process that somebody realises that somebody isn't functioning properly or that something is happening within their home? I mean, it's a very difficult one to deal with. But um, I always think that there should be a regulation that both um, medical areas and perhaps in banking, that somebody should be required to produce the body at least every year, Mm. that somebody should know that the person if if they're being classed as competent, mm. are competent, and that they should have to see them. Uh, and people may be financially vulnerable. Uh, they may be vulnerable for other reasons. Uh, there could be physical abuse, sexual abuse. Uh, they could be discriminated against. There could be psychological abuse. There's all kinds of things uh, that could constitute what is abuse and neglect. And the Commission is talking about defining uh, what that would mean. Uh, and also the possibility of making it an offence not to report abuse, if you believe that it's taking place? Well, you see, I think this is the area where um, we already have that for, you know, certain designated people have to report it, particularly with regard to children. So I think that needs to be looked at very seriously as to how can you report that? If somebody comes into a doctor and they have bruises, are they being physically abused? Do they have the time to do it? Is there an intermediary person that they can be referred to, that they can speak to? Because, I mean, this is widespread. I was looking at figures recently where the number of people going in to nursing homes had reduced. And when I queried it with one or two people, they said, well, people don't, in some cases, want to lose the value of the home. So sometimes they are, people are, are, as they said, being kept at home and it mightn't be the best thing for them. So there's a whole area where money is involved. There's an area. But also, um, and as an older person myself, like sometimes as people get older, they're not as easy to deal with. So there's a whole area there um, of how you deal with it. And I do think it's good that they are looking into this. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important that people have enduring power of attorneys given and that it should be reviewed and that there should be some, I mean, lots and lots of work have been done on all the possibilities. But what I think we need to do is to begin to bring something in and to allocate the money for it. Because it's only going to lead to worse situations down the line. What we would like to see is that there is a start made and the situation where somebody has to go into a house. I think if you go to towns in particular, mm-hmm. smaller towns or whatever, most people know if there's a reclusive older people live, mm-hmm. person living there that hasn't been out for a long time. 
And I think we need to look at that example and how something might be done to see, are they okay if they're living on their own, what's happening? Then if somebody is suddenly being mm-hmm. befriended by somebody, what's happening? Or being cared by somebody. And uh, as we learned from the court in Letterkenny, how that can go wrong. Uh, as readers of the Irish Examiner uh, will have noted yesterday, this was uh, recommended uh, to the Law Reform Commission last March. Uh, we'll look forward to, to their recommendations in due course, but we have to leave it there for the moment. Yeah, they have another indeed. consultation going, so people who have views on it should respond to it. Okay, I think right. it's closing in April. Okay, thank you very much okay. indeed. Thank you. Raid Hayes, Chief, Exec- Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Senior Citizens Parliament. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, in uh, another of our getting to know you one-to-one uh, interviews with uh, general election candidates, so uh, we'll say good morning to Cahill O'Murgu, who's uh, standing for the Irish Freedom Party in uh, the Louth and East Mead constituency. Good morning to you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling us uh, why you're standing and uh, why you believe people should give you their number one. Yes, uh, can you hear me, yeah? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, Cahill, yeah. Yes, um... Well, Michael, um, I'm standing in the constituency at the minute because we are the only party that's um, going to prioritise the Irish interests uh, first. Just all the other parties are talking about things like housing, healthcare, education and stuff, but nobody's actually addressing issues around immigration. And we're the only party that's going to bring that up. Uh, we think there's a big input from that into uh, the housing problem. And we want to advocate for a widespread um, nationwide debate and consultation on this matter. We think that there are issues around um, the um, refugee system, which is failing us, the direct provision system. And we are open to basically 500 million people from the Eastern or from the EU that can come in without any sort of checks. So we want some some sort of common sense brought back to that situation where the Irish people can have a little bit more control over who can and can't come in. So we're the only ones that are saying that. Okay, and you're from Belfast yourself, uh, I think. Uh, are you living in Belfast I'm, or have yeah, you moved to I, uh, I'm based work-wise in Belfast, but I'm from Armagh. I live in Armagh, County okay, Armagh. Yeah. And uh, are you canvassing in Louth? Yes, we are indeed, yes. Uh, we're all around the county. And we've had a phenomenal response, actually, particularly in Drogheda, and um, we're hitting Dundalk shortly. It's been, uh, as you know, it's been a short uh, campaign, so we've try to hit the ground running, but the uh, response that we've been getting in the Dundalk, or sorry, in the Trotter area has been phenomenal. It's actually um, been better than I thought. Hmm. And I think are, there are, are issues there that people do want. Are, are, there, are, are there people in those yeah. areas uh, that you would consider to be ordinary Irish people, or maybe you could well, tell us what you believe an ordinary Irish person is? Well, I think they are the ordinary uh, Irish person. They are just the hmm. local taxpayers who are you know, spend all their lives here paid their taxes all their lives and they don't feel that they're getting a fair crack of it. uh, What what, what do you define as an ordinary Irish person? Uh, Because uh, the Irish Freedom Party's website says you believe immigration should be controlled effectively to suit the interests of ordinary Irish people. Yeah. Well, we want to prioritise those ordinary Irish people. Who who are they? What what is an ordinary Irish person? I mean, uh, mean, it's such such a a multicultural, diverse society that we live in. Uh, I'm not sure if I could define what an ordinary Irish person is. Well, uh, we're not going to have a debate on ethnicity. I mean, we all know what an Irish person is. It's somebody that's been here for for all their life, not just somebody. I mean, you can't say 
Somebody coming from Poland, for example, and I know they're working people, they come from Poland and they can't describe themselves as Irish. I mean, they might have an Irish passport now and good luck to them. We're not saying that. But, you know, they can't be described as an Irish person. It's as simple as that. Uh, so Are their children Irish? Well, you say again, we're into ethnicity. Uh, you've got uh, naturalised Irish citizens and you will have uh, those that are ethnically made as Irish, and that's the same in any country. So, I mean, you'll have a situation where they will integrate, yeah. Is Leo Bradker Irish? Well, he, well, again, you're asking that same question. Well, he's obviously his parentage is uh, is Indian, but uh, he would be described as an Irish man by his by his passport. But we're not going to get into a, a, a silly debate on ethnicity, Michael. You know, I think we all know what an Irish person is. Well, I just told you I don't. Uh, I, I I think all of the people that we're talking about are Irish. They're the people who live beside me and work beside me and share the country that I happen to live in. I lived in I, 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 I lived in I lived in other countries uh, and uh, they were people who I happened to live beside as well and a lot of them were very nice people. Well absolutely they are very nice people mm. but uh, if, if we had more control over who can and can't come in that we could decide who can be Irish and who can't be Irish. And who, who so, would you choose could come in and who would you choose could not come in well, and who would you choose could be Irish and who would you choose could not be Irish, yeah, because... Uh, well, we, want, we want a sensible uh, approach to immigration where we have it on skills based, based on the requirements of our, the country and the requirements of the economy. Is that the sensible? Minute, I think that is pretty sensible, yes, and I don't think anybody would argue with that. So, so, I mean, so, under so, the so, EU, so, 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 under the EU, you've got 500 million people that are entitled to come over to Ireland tomorrow. That's just not sustainable. So, you, so, 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 so this is the Nigel Farage party, isn't it? This is the party that wants to leave the European Union. Well, Ni- Nigel Farage actually was at your first meeting, wasn't he? He was indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was had it myself, as a, as a good many other people mm. were. And they're just ordinary people. We're not extremists, Michael. We are ordinary people who are just very concerned about the direction that is coming. Um, Nigel Farage represents a constituency in Britain, and we would kind of represent a similar constituency in Ireland. So we're just ordinary mm. people. We're not extremes at all. Yeah. We have nothing against immigrants themselves perfectly. Uh, you, just don't, you just don't want a lot of them here. We want to a managed. Uh, want to be able to manage the numbers. At the minute, we're not we're not managing the numbers at all. It's getting to the stage now where it's not fit for purpose, and we think it's time that we had a more sensible approach where we can have a bit more consultation. And um, the Irish people are giving us say on on this matter. Is, is, is this a, another wing of uh, the direct democracy movement? Direct democracy Ireland uh, failed. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, to we're, a, a we're large we're extent starting. in this country. Uh, your um, president is a director of uh, direct democracy in Europe. Uh, and indeed, uh, Ben Gilroy, who formed uh, the Irish branch, uh, is one of your members. I think he's a candidate uh, in Dublin Bay. Well, he may be, yes. Uh, but we're all running under the uh, under the banner of the Irish Freedom Party. We are, as I say, a new party. And we ran in um, the European elections. We ran in elections up north, but we weren't registered. In well, you, you didn't Irish actually election. run in the European elections, did you? Because uh, you well, botched... Ben Gilroy, I think... As an independent, though, you botched up uh, the application. Uh, you couldn't. Well, we were we were late in getting the the paperwork in. You, yes. But, well, you uh, got the paperwork in. And Herman rang. Well, as I understand it, you got the paperwork in, but you didn't fill it out right. You didn't tick the box. I think there was something like that happened. There was yeah. a little bit of a glitch in the system. But we are where we are. We're registered now, and uh, we're here trying to speak up for the. Uh, 
as I said, the local people in the constituency who are very concerned. I mean, I'm just listening to There's a lot of local people listening now who are very concerned that, that you don't want them here. It's not that we don't want people. We want a proper, uh, manageable uh, skill. No, but there's a lot of local uh, people listening to us. Process. There's a lot of local people so who, 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 who are... I know you're living in Armagh and you were born in Belfast, but there's a lot of local people who are, are living in Louth and East Mead, where you hope to be elected, and who are worried that you don't want them here. No, it's not that at all. I mean, we're actually trying to uh, prioritise people that are genuine immigrants and genuine refugees. The system at the minute, we've got a system where you have 90% of refugee claimants. This is fact. They are not genuine. Yeah, but you want to get rid of some of them because, because you so say they're not genuine. This, if I could just finish this point, and that's taking away from those that are genuine refugees. Okay, we're but, we're but, a compassionate country and we want to help those genuine yeah, but I, 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 Because the system is clogged up. We're not allowed to do that. And yeah. so it's just it's just a non-system, Michael. It's just, it's just not. I, d- I don't know who you say is genuine and who you say isn't genuine. I think you had quite. I think for the judges, for the judges and for the the politicians and the senators that look at that. It sounded to me say. as though you were questioning uh, the Irishness of the Taoiseach. No, I'm not questioning the Irishness of the Taoiseach at all. The Taoiseach himself actually made reference to the fact that uh, there are people coming from. Uh, Georgia and Albania that are not properly documented and this is exactly what we're saying now he's saying that it's late in the day but at least he is saying it and he's woke up to the fact that there are general general UN concerns amongst the people of this country about the, about the levels of undocumented mm. people coming but, in and he's just reflecting what we're saying I, I'm absolutely not mm. casting aspersions on the T-shirts okay. but, 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 but you would deport people who you feel are not genuine refugees and you would also deport people who are here under European law no, we won't. We can't deport people that are here under European law because there is free movement of people. But you want we to leave want, Europe so that they can't be here. We, yeah, we want yeah. to uh, a situation where we would feel a long-term goal would be to re-evaluate and renegotiate our, our terms within the EU. That can be done, especially with Britain leaving. We have to now do that converse, have that conversation. I mean, they are our biggest trading partner, uh, and it would only be sensible for us to have a, a close economic relationship with them and to look at the fact that maybe Europe is not where our main market is. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Cahill O'Murakou of uh, the Irish Freedom Party, a candidate in Louth and East Meath. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. I'm going to go first to your last interview with Cahill O'Murku from the Irish Freedom Party. Just two comments in relation to that so far. Mm. Uh, a listener phoned in, listening to your interview there, not at all impressed with the broadcaster. If he doesn't know what an ordinary Irish man is, he shouldn't be doing that interview view it's common sense what's common what is an ordinary Irish person I mean we live in a, a multi multicultural diverse society uh, we're not in Ireland of the 1950s I don't think there is a, an ordinary Irish person that uh, you could point to today do you um <laughs> well, if you want to ask me what the traditional Irish man is, I can no, tell you, but I may not. Go, mm, I won't no. go into that because I could get into trouble. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I'm not talking about the traditional Irish man. Uh, I'm talking about what is an ordinary Irish, Irish person. person. Uh, I mean, when you make statements about immigration to this country that are in the interest of ordinary Irish people, I don't know what that means. Another listener, Damien, 
says I was up in the hospital the other day Michael full of foreign people working there I had a Filipino nurse and a Pakistan a Pakistani doctor and I just want to say they were absolutely brilliant and I was delighted to have Mm -hmm. them there in Mm. the hospital looking after me keep up the good work yeah that's exactly the point I think they're ordinary Irish people aren't they Mm. Moving on then to your interview at the top of mm. the show with Damien English. Frank and Navin says, I'd love to ask Damien English, is he going to stick to his promise with Navin Hospital to keep it upgraded and opened for the North East? That is why I voted for him the last time. I don't believe that at all. But anyway, he's not. Go on. Denise yeah. phoned mm. in, mm. says, when is the train station going to be delivered for Navin? My husband has to drive to Dunboyne to catch the train every day it's an absolutely ridiculous journey and the politicians in mm. County Meath should be ashamed of themselves that they haven't delivered this for the town a- who, April, who, April I think whoever tells Denise mm. that it's going to happen will get her vote and uh, whoever think, will make it happen yeah. uh, April I think Oh no, that was a dream. No, sorry, that that, that, that <laughs> I was, was waiting for that, yeah. Michael. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, still sticking with uh, Jamie in English. Another listener says uh, this comes in from Maria that uh, regarding jobs, that there needs to be a concerted efforts to bring more jobs to areas where people are living. That is the huge battle that people are facing in counties on the periphery of Dublin. Mm. That there's not enough jobs in their areas, which means that they have to get up at an unearthly hour get their kids out when they shouldn't have to be getting them out so early when the children should still be in bed and they're travelling by the time they leave and get home it's 12 hours mm. in a day between your work and day and then yeah. either side Okay, you don't mind me telling people you've just come into work uh, although you've been working uh, all morning uh, meeting people who are on the uh, commute uh, and uh, taking the train this morning uh, what, what what were people saying to you? Unbelievable Michael yeah. really to be honest with you mm. but, but first of all I it was a long time since I've travelled on the N2 at that time mm. of the morning and Busy, it was only for a short yeah, time yeah, yeah. bumper to bumper at 20 mm. past 7 yeah, when yeah, I came out of Kilmoon yeah. couldn't believe oh, it Oh did you get out at Kilmoon? When, when I eventually yeah, when did eventually get out at Kilmoon yeah, but yeah, I mean yeah. it really mm. was and we, yeah. we hear the listeners to the show complaining oh, yeah, but it's a long time since I was in going to say going in at that time of the morning yeah. oh and it's the same every evening as well yes yeah. and um, then when I got to the, the train station yeah. oh my god the amount of cars I couldn't believe yeah. it and that and again it's the traffic congestion even trying to get there but people are just mm. browned off yeah Friend of end of, up end of so, their tether, yeah. Yeah, so mm. early, first mm. of all, to have to get up. Then I actually just was interesting, Denise there spoke about her husband driving mm. from Navin mm. because I actually came across two different people mm-hmm. that are doing that every day and they're saying with the traffic and that it's taken them 25 minutes approximately mm. drive over. Then they have to get the train mm. into their job, get to their job, then get the train home and mm. do that all mm. over mm. again. And um, we, we, you will hear it on the on the audio when we play it out over the next couple of days. But I mean, people are talking about getting up at six and half six and getting their children out of bed and mm. the cost of childcare. And it's just like a merry-go-round. That's what's coming across. So okay. it really, uh, do you know what? It makes you appreciate that when you are able to work local. Mm, OK. All right. Well, we'll hear the reality of many people's lives, the people that you were speaking to early this morning, later on in the programme before Election Day, at least now. Uh, we are living in the European Union. Uh, there's 28 countries in the European Union. But from midnight tomorrow night, uh, 11 o'clock European time, uh, there will only be 27 countries. Uh, the European Parliament concluded its business yesterday with the British MEPs spending their last day in the chamber. And uh, Mairead McGuinness called on one of them to 
talk and to address the chamber. Thank you, Mr. Farage, for four minutes. Thank you very much. So this is it, the final chapter, the end of the road. A 47-year political experiment that the British, frankly, have never been very happy with. My mother and father signed up to a common market, not to a political union, not to flags, anthems, presidents, and now you even want your own army. For me, it's been 27 years of campaigning and over 20 years here in this parliament. I'm not particularly happy with the agreement we're being asked to vote on tonight, but Boris has been remarkably bold in the last few months, and Ms. von der Leyen, he's made it clear, he's promised us there'll be no level playing field. And on that basis, I wish him every success in the next round of negotiations. I really do. But the most significant point is this. What happens at 11pm this Friday, the 31st of January, 2020, marks the point of no return. Once we've left, we are never coming back, and the rest, frankly, is detail. We're going, we will be gone. And that should be the summit of my own political ambitions. I walked in here, as I've said before, you all thought it was terribly funny, uh, you stopped laughing in 2016. But my view has changed of Europe since I, since I joined. In 2005, I saw the constitution that had been drafted by Giscard and others. I saw it rejected by the French in a referendum. I saw it rejected by the Dutch in a referendum. And I saw you in these institutions ignore them, bring it back as a Lisbon Treaty and boast you could ram it through without there being referendums. Well, the Irish did have a vote and did say no and were forced to vote again. You're very good at making people vote again, but what we've proved is the British are too big to bully, thank goodness. Oh, indeed, and he managed to get Both a few laughs. And indeed, in the Brexit party, we love Europe, we just hate the European Union. It's as simple as that. So I'm hoping... I'm hoping this begins the end of this project. It's a bad project. It isn't just undemocratic, it's anti-democratic, and it puts in that front row. It gives people power without accountability. People who cannot be held to account by the electorate. And that is an unacceptable structure. Indeed, there's an historic battle going on now across the West, in Europe, America, and elsewhere. It is globalism against populism and you may loathe populism but I tell you a funny thing it's becoming very popular <laughs> and it has great benefits made me laugh anyway Nigel Farage oh god he was just loving it and all of the reasons for leaving the European Union no more financial contributions no more European Court of Justice no more common fisheries policy no more being talked down to no more being bullied no more Guy Verhofstadt I mean I mean what's not to like I know you're going to miss us I know you want to ban our national flags but we're going to wave you goodbye and we'll look forward in the future to working with you as sovereign. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off. Could we please remove the flags? Mr Farage, 
Can we remove the flags, please? That's it. It's all over. Finished. It's gone. Could I please ask for quiet? I'm really... Please sit down, resume your seats, put your flags away, you're leaving, and take them with you if you are leaving now. And... Goodbye. Can I just say, if I may say, just in a slight reference, the word hate was used in the last um, contribution. And I really think, given what we listened to prior to this, that we should not hate anyone or any nation or any people. And I now give the floor to Madam Hubner for one and a half minutes. Quiet, please, at the back of the room. Thank you, President. And I must say that the only thing I'm absolutely sure I will not miss is listening to Mr. Farage. Oh, I don't know. I miss him terribly. Uh, I mean, I thought that was engaging. Uh, and it was uh, hilarious as well. It's all over. Goodbye. Uh, but... Uh Let's not forget uh, that nothing has really changed in uh, that uh, whilst the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union, it remains governed by its rules and regulations. Just doesn't make any decisions because it's not in the European Parliament for the next year. So it's a decision taker and not a decision maker. All right, uh, let's uh, go back to some more of the comments, Marie. Yes, we had a WhatsApp in from David saying he's wondering what the Fine Gael strategy locally is because in tr- this is in, in Mead West, having listened to your interview with Pather Tobin, and he's saying that in Trim we have the three Fine Gael candidates canvassing. Mm. So they're all well, canvassing I guess that's in the, the strategy. Room. Well, you know, normally when they have a couple of candidates, don't they break it yeah. up into areas? Yeah. But that's the point he's making, that it seems to be a free-for-all. Okay. They're, going, they're all going mm. for the one area. Yeah, right. uh, just listening uh, to Nigel Farage there, Sheila mm. says, what was he like in the European Parliament yesterday, gloating and waving his flag around with his cronies? His behaviour, she felt, was extremely insulting to the British people who voted to remain and who continue to express their concerns about how Brexit will impact on the country. All oh, right, but... Uh, he'll be missed terribly. So there you go. Mm. Okay, we'll thanks uh, for that. <laughs> thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, our round table debate in uh, the general election campaign today is in the constituency of uh, Me the East. We're joined uh, by Helen McEntee, who's a uh, candidate uh, for Fine Gael, outgoing TD and Minister for European Affairs. Imer Tobin, a councillor for Ing2. Uh, Thomas Byrne, who's a Fianna Fáil candidate and an outgoing TD. And Andrew Keegan, who's a candidate uh, for Solidarity, People Before Profit. And you're all very welcome and thank you indeed uh, for joining here on the programme this morning. Uh, we were listening to history uh, by way of uh, the contribution that Nigel Farage made in uh, the European Parliament yesterday. Uh, this has taken up a, a lot of your time uh, over the last couple of years, Minister McEntee. Uh, perhaps uh, you'd share your thoughts with us today because uh, although it is historic, very little will change until the end of this year. Uh, well, good morning, Michael, and, and good morning to all my colleagues here. Um, do you know, unfortunately, and, and I've just come from a Chamber of Commerce business meeting this morning or a candidate hosting, um, and the first question I asked people there is, hands up, who's sick of listening to Brexit, talking about Brexit and hearing about Brexit? And I think the vast majority of people in the room put their hand up. Um, but what I said to them next is that, unfortunately, although even nothing will change or even though nothing will change um 
on Saturday this week, um, the biggest challenge that we now have is ensuring that we have a trade deal with the UK. Um, while we have negotiated a deal that prote- protects the Good Friday Agreement, mm. prevents the border from re-emerging, protects our place in the single this, market. Th- th- this, this is the scaremongering that Fine Gael is introducing into the general election campaign now to try and woo voters uh, in uh, the sense uh, that you want to convince people that you've managed Brexit well so far and there's so much to be afraid of. But realistically, there's nothing to worry about until at least January of next year or December of next year. A- absolutely not. Um, and yesterday again, and even though we're in the middle of a campaign, I was in Dublin to meet with our stakeholders, Mm. a group that we established throughout Brexit, where the stakeholders themselves said, why are we not hearing about Brexit? Mm. We're not talking about it enough. The most recent report, the Copenhagen Economics Report, said Mm. that even if we get a free trade deal with the UK, our economy will be 3% less than predicted now. Between 3.2 and 3.9. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, the economy will shrink by 7%. Mm -hmm. But what Mm -hmm. we now know is that Boris Johnson, and and I do believe Mm. him, he has put into law that they cannot seek an extension, Mm. which means that they need, and we need, to negotiate a trade deal Mm. by October. Now that's nine months to but we, is, we is not Fine Gael, we is not Ireland, we is 27 states uh, and uh, I, I think it's true to say, Thomas Byrne, that it makes no difference whether it's a, a Fianna Fáil government or a Fine Gael government uh, because Ireland loses I- its uh, privileged position in terms of the next phase of this. Uh, well, I think uh, you, you, on the one hand, you're right to say that the European Commission obviously takes the lead in negotiations on, 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 on trade. That's absolutely true. But I think, I think you know, I'm not sick of Brexit. I'm deeply concerned about mm. it, actually, and deeply concerned about the trade negotiations happening this year. And, and that's why we took a lot of flack over the last year to give, give the government space to make sure there was a government in place to actually deal with Brexit in the national interest. I think all parties maintained a consensus there to allow Helen and other ministers to do the work that was necessary to be done. And I think that that has shown this country to be extremely mature which not only we can all, I don't know, we can clap ourselves in the back, but actually what it means in practical terms, business looking in who want to invest will say, well, that's a stable political society that we can rely on, we can depend on. And of course, European partners as well know uh, that if there's a change of government, and we certainly are campaigning for that, uh, that the the consensus in relation to Brexit in relation to Europe won't change. And that there are experienced people there who are able to deal uh, with the negotiations to ensure Ireland's place is kept uh, centrally involved as as it has been up to now, and to ensure that there are parties like Fianna Fáil with the context and the experience and the history uh, to deal uh, with what needs to be dealt with over the next year and I think we can do that the other aspect of it as well and this is not related to traders is to maintain a deep relationship with, with the United Kingdom with Britain that's really, really important as they leave the European Union. That the, you know, we talk about the Good Friday Agreement. Mm. A major part of the strand of the Good Friday Agreement is the East-West. That needs to be developed and nurtured even more now mm. uh, with Britain out of the European Union. And that's something that Fianna Fáil uh, is going to do. So, mm-hmm. so we, we, we know the dangers. We've showed that we've known them. We put it into practice. Uh, we've, we've, an election has been postponed because of the serious risks to the economy and to jobs uh, of an old deal Brexit over the last year. And I think the Fianna Fáil have shown that seriousness and will continue to show that seriousness of approach. And, and I'm confident that every part, confident that every okay. party will show a national approach no, right. on Brexit over the next year. Even okay. if Let me go to Andrew Keegan uh, because uh, I'm not sure uh, if uh, there's a, a sigh of relief or if uh, there's concern. Uh, would you agree with what uh, the two previous speakers said or would you agree with what Nigel Farage had to say in part before the break when he was talking about the problems uh, he would associate with Europe, including the establishment of a European army? Well, uh, I wouldn't agree with anything for, for, what Farage would say. Uh, the if you got knocking on the doors in certain areas, I would knock on doors. Uh, you know, people don't even the spread and border issues. Brexit is kind of you know they're not into politics. They're not really dealing with Brexit. Mm. But the issue that has to 
what's coming down the tracks is the Tories are going to you know, have a race to the bottom and the German and French economies are already talking about having to reduce working conditions and stuff in Europe in order to compete with the Singapore on sea. So that is a kind of a future issue as far as work is concerned because the last three or four years the whole dialogue and the whole conversations about business this, business that, nobody's been talking about workers' rights across Europe, that, that the impact that this is going to have. And even though, to a certain extent, the British working class rejected uh, Labour and Corbyn, uh, the one thing they're going to find out in the next two or three years, the, the true nature of, of what the Tories are. So we already have an announcement this morning mm. talking about the, the fisheries. So there's a whole sector in Irish fisheries that, you know, all of a sudden we're a satellite. We're actually a satellite that's isolated from the rest of Europe in relation to fisheries. Uh, the British, you know, they, they love this gunboat thing. They'll, they'll kind of get the boats out and kind of, we're protecting, these are our waters now. And mm-hmm. think, you know, we, at the end of the year, that has to be sorted out. But I don't think they want to sort it out. They just want to kind of rattle a few chains. So there's serious issues in relation mm. to work conditions. I know employers want to, want to employ more people and you know, pay them pay them wages. So uh, if if the things get tricky in relation to employment, it's workers that, that get affected at the end of the okay. day. And uh, Brexit, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of an esoteric thing. It, but you have to understand the British economy is the fourth largest economy. Now, the, yeah, the European establishment have just gone, you know, uh, we, we can deal with this. Sorry, you've just lost a huge economy. You know what I mean? But, but, but we've also created uh, an economic unity north and south on this island. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's I, the only I, issue, I, yes. I, I think Eamor Toby will yeah. tell us in a moment that it makes the case for yeah. a border poll. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael would well, we argue against that. Well, 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 as well. yeah. but, you, you believe it should, yeah, there should course. be a border poll? But the thing that's going to happen is the Tories don't give a damn about Northern Ireland. Mm, okay. and I, and they actually don't give a damn about the uh, about the Irish because the first negotiations that happened in Europe, right? Mm. the British went in, they thought the Irish were going to be on their side. And we just said, no, sorry, we're with Europe. This is their attitude. They think okay. we're just kind of Little Britain or something. Okay. Right? Yeah, there's no doubt at this stage now mm-hmm. the whole Bre- mm-hmm. Brexit uh, situation has, has given a wind of opportunity. And this has been talked about certainly by Ainthu in the last year. You know, we have to grab on this opportunity, work on it, push for this poll. You know, there's there's still other parties talking about within the next five years. Really and truly, this needs to happen what now. What would a poll achieve? The poll would achieve the views of everybody. And that is one of the things that's missing in this in this country. Where we're not getting the views of everybody. Democracy is very, very compromised. We see it across so many areas within Irish society. So this poll will give everybody a chance to voice their say. And let's see what the results mm. are. And, would the, and results, would, would, would the results north of the border be different than the results south of the border? Do you Obviously, there'll be different pocket, uh, pockets of differences, Michael, around the country. No, but, but would they be significantly different? Well, we won't really know until we get this poll because there's so but much you talk know, of, of what might be the know. situation or what is the situation. Let's get the poll and let's look at the results. But of course we and know. Let's because then have because we don't have a unionist community south of the border, so of course the results would be different. Look, society and politics mm. and everything is evolving on a daily basis. You see, it's different than the Good we Friday Agreement, isn't it? Because the Good Friday Agreement... those questions are framed is very, very important. There was pretty much a consensus do. across the island for the Good Friday Agreement. Absolutely. Uh, and there would not be consensus across the island. Surely you would accept that. Yes, there are some people that, that don't want this to go ahead. But there is an increasing number of people. So would that be dangerous? And it's nearly coming into the majority. So, so would that be dangerous? Well, there's nothing dangerous about opening dialogue on the possibility about unity. If we just if we shut down 
democracy are shut down okay. talk about this. Anybody this is far more dangerous and going to lead to far more problems. I, 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 I don't North disagree that this is a conversation that's probably mm. going to come into the ether uh, much quicker than we had thought. However, the executive is just up and running a wet mm. week, literally after being absent for three years. Brexit, as I've said, we're now going into possibly the most turbulent part of it mm. because we're going to have to try and negotiate a trade deal in nine months. We know, given the fact that last year we had a lot of things happen that we hoped would never happen again. Would a poll Northern result Ireland. in bombs and limits? I, I don't think it's the right time because I think it would create division, um, further division. That kind and of we, division. Well, I, I don't. I don't know, mm. and I would hope not, and I would mm. never uh, say a that. A poll it's is simply just pushing a question out there. Problem. It's not going to <coughs> cause all these problems. We, we're we not afraid to discuss unity. Okay, let Andrew Keegan. You Andrew Keegan, you don't believe it would result in bombs in Limerick? No, because what's happening now that the Protestant working class estates, right? They're they're coming to a way that their own leadership has let them down. So really. It's just putting the question, so well, where are you? So you have, you talk about United Ireland, but you have to have a united community. You have Protestant Catholic communities mm. in, in the north. And uh, like when people profit canvas in the north, in Delhi, mm. in Belfast, and other constituencies, we, we canvas in Protestant uh, uh, states as well. And we find it's the same economic arguments mm. that's going forward. So until the, the, the very certain parties in the north actually, you know, you know, represent the people mm. that, that's supposed to represent properly, uh, I can't see, they, they would only fear a, a poll border poll because it might embarrass their own leadership okay. Yeah, what, what I would say is that you know, look, loyalist estates are not crying out for unity at the moment that's the reality of it but what can we do we can actually improve economic well-being for them and show them how unity in practice works which is building that road to Derry or Letterkenny the N2 which will mm. actually benefit parts of the, our own constituency exactly. uh, Prime Minister Slane, but that shows people how uh, we can improve things and work together with improved towns along there Oma or Newton Stewart or wherever and improve all these towns why can't we have much more activity between hospitals, between yeah. third institutions, and, and that will show people that there is actually a path forward. But if you just go in with a poll now, when none of that has happened or been given a chance to actually work, it'd be an absolute disaster. Look, you could you can say there's never a right time, yeah. but until you start the conversation and until until you get people around a table who genuinely want to listen to the views of everybody. How do we know that there, there isn't a, a serious appetite for this? Ain't there with two councillors up north? We're the first party that has got uh, people elected north and south. We are trying to pave the way. Sorry, we were the first. People, could have, people mm. could have said yeah. before, <laughs> the, you know, why would you go down that route? Why don't you wait and see until this improves, that improves? The bread and butter issues up the north mm. is, is what concerns well, most I don't, I don't people. Think I did canvassing for Ainthu up the north mm, in, mm. The, in the... In the Westminster yeah. election. Well, I think Eamon McCann was the first, wasn't he, for people Jerry before. Jerry Curtin, Eamon McCann. Uh, yeah. uh, okay, uh, and I think Thomas Byrne, you said Fianna Fáil do. No, but I think no, I, no, I didn't say Fianna Fáil. I, 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 Fáil. I think Fianna Fáil. I think some members of Fianna Fáil wanted. Eamon de Valera got elected in yeah. Southdown and in Clare, actually, as well. So, mm. you know, but that's things are, that's going back a little while. His grandson was disciplined for supporting a candidate. Uh, well, she wasn't an official party mm. candidate. I mean, that's that's, yeah, but that's, that's just, but, but we, we have. But we that's were, the division we were, well, within we Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil is the we party were, that seems to be divided on we most were, issues, no, isn't it's it? Not, Michael, we were mm. actively involved with the SDLP mm. campaign in the last uh, general election. I was really thrilled that the SDLP took Derry uh, and took um, mm. South Belfast. Mark and Daly actually, was demoted. Actually, Eamon O'Quaid should have taken South Down. Eamon O'Quaid doesn't get on with Michal Martin. Look, Michal Martin is the leader of the party. Does Michal Martin get on with Niall Collins or Timmy Dooley? Michal Martin has set out Fianna Fáil policy on all these issues Mm. really clearly and the party takes the lead from him. Can I just... Those two members that you mentioned, Michael, as you know, were removed from the Fianna Fáil front bench. But if you're the lead party in government, will there be ministers? Michael... 
we've we doll seats to win first before anybody starts talking about so you, government or any of the appendages of government. Yeah. And that's what we're at. Mm. We're looking for every number one vote. By the mm. way, we are the only party other than Finnegan yeah. that's running enough candidates to get elected to government. You are the party to who won't say that there will be a, a sanction uh, against those two people but that will prevent sorry, them from becoming ministers. Sorry, Mike, Michael. They were sanctioned by their removal from the front bench mm. almost instantaneously. What uh, about Catherine Noonan and Finnegan? Will uh, she be punished uh, for her recent comments? Well, I, I think the people of her constituency will decide whether or not she should be elected. Um, <coughs> uh, you know, mm. I, I very clearly said the other night. Um, on so TV, that's a I no. Don't, yeah. Well, mm. I don't agree with her comments. Our party have yeah. said they don't agree with her comments. And your your party is in trouble be, because of some of your members. Uh, you've really tripped up uh, recently because of uh, some of your members, uh, Maria Bailey and uh, Verona Murphy, for that matter. And, and both of those mm. have been taken off the mm. ticket. So mm. I think we've shown very clear and decisive action, um, you know, again, where measures have been taken, which don't have them on the ticket mm. now, so people don't even have the opportunity. Catherine Noon was already on the mm. ticket, is already campaigning and I think it'll very much be up to her constituency to decide whether or not she is elected. I, I you know, I think she's caused a lot of upset by her comments I think, not just to the Taoiseach but many children mm. uh, and families who you know, many people mm. uh, who have autism um, so I think we need to reflect on that and I think there needs to be a lot more education in this area and, and that's something that we are committed to but again you know <coughs> whether or not she's elected I think it's, it's the people that she's knocking on doors and talking to they'll decide that but I, I, I fully mm. disagree with her comments uh, 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 Is anybody hearing on the doorsteps uh, concerns uh, that people have about immigration because it's been raised to some degree it was raised earlier on uh, in uh, the programme by uh, another candidate, Seema yeah, Tobin. Yeah, absolutely. But just getting back just to one point about the Brexit issue, Helen had tweeted there during the week that it came up at 90% of the doors. I'm in the exact same constituency. Okay. I'm knocking at the exact same doors. I don't think but, Brexit was mentioned okay, 10 but, times. What complaints are you hearing about immigration? Immigration? Well, obviously, people feel that um, the indigenous population has been pitted against the immigrant. They feel that the government is not putting in enough funding to, to deal with the housing shortages, the, the health shortages, the whole kind of uh, public uh, transport infrastructure. Mm. So is that your position? Is is, it? it certainly is not my position. But my point is, what we is your will position? always offer... What is your position? Our Ainthu's position is to offer refuge for anybody fleeing any of the awful things that are going on around the world. War, famine, persecution. Mm. Absolutely. Of course we should open the door to them. And it was done to us in, in our time of, of serious, serious mm. um, deprivation. But the point is, in order to help these people, it has to be sustained, it has to be structured, it has to be managed. This is very, very basic stuff. We're not asking for, you know, something incredibly mm. beyond the realm Andrew of Kagan, possibility. We're asking for people to be given... OK, but you are hearing it from people funding. as a, a concern. Are you hearing those concerns as well, Andrew? No, really. Mm. Uh, well, actually, the concerns we're getting is that people just want to stop uh, direct provision. Do you think, well, if people like there's, there's nurses, there's doctors, there's accountants in direct mm. provision, they're not able to contribute to our society. Mm. You know what I mean? Uh, we have, like, as a construction worker, um, like, like, if we didn't have the 10,000 construction workers, mm. uh, immigrants, 10,000 construction immigrants out of the 60,000 that exist, we wouldn't have a, a, a mm. construction industry. And direct provision is uh, the system uh, that we use for yeah, asylum it's, it's seekers where we, we give them food and board. Out, so yeah. People mm-hmm. just don't like it. So it's I was introduced by John O'Donoghue, uh, Fianna Fáil Minister at the time. He was the well, Minister I, for I, Justice. I, 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 don't, I don't know what Emer and Aintu mean by indigenous people. I mean, certainly immigration is not the issue that some are trying to make it out to be. That's absolutely the case. We've obviously... 
we're in the European John Union. John O'Donoghue said recently it was a mistake, didn't he? Well, I, I hadn't heard that actually, but when I say mm. about immigration, we have two, two mm. main sources of immigration. The European Union, we're all able to free, freely move between countries, mm. and you know anyone who's trying to dog whistle by saying yeah. that can be stopped, it can't, and it benefits everybody. No, but direct provision is not we, for European we, Union citizens. No, no, yeah. I'm coming to that. I mean, yeah. what direct provision is result from is from our international obligations to give refuge to people who are seeking asylum status. Mm. Um, the direct provision Surely that should be done with dignity, though. Absolutely. Mm. absolutely. And we don't do that we, no. under a system created by Fianna Fáil. Well, what we don't have is we don't have the camps, refugee camps that they have in many European Union countries. Mm. We don't have. We don't have the can. numbers. Well, we that's, don't have That's camps. not an achievement to say we don't no, no, have the camps. No, but we don't. But that These is, are like that holding is, camps. I, well, the, the biggest provision. problem with direct provision at the moment Sites. is, and I've been in Mosni on other, you know, I've been in Mosni mm. a number of occasions mm. and met people there. Yeah. Uh, the biggest problem is the length of time that people are there. Mm. And they're left there interminably, and well, that's the problem. A, it, that's one of the problems. No, no, but... There's other problems like children being raped or prostitutes. Well, well sorry, well, that's... The, the, that's a problem a that the Gardaí need to deal with and needs to be reported to the Gardaí and if someone gave me information but that we would the go to the Gardaí. The system covers it up. The well, system well, that sorry, was introduced by Fianna Fáil. Sorry, Michael, there is... No, sorry. I am not accepting no, that. Sorry. The accommodation if, if allows somebody, these crimes no, sorry. to occur to them. If, if Gar- somebody is responsible for coming up, covering the, up a crime of rape or the Gar- whatever... The Gardaí do not patrol Mosny. Well, it should be reported to the Gardaí and if you're telling me there's a cover-up, by, by that should pe- be reported to the By people who are afraid to blink in case they be Well, if somebody gives me information, I certainly would pass anything and there would be no risk to anybody. make this clear. Uh, no risk to anybody f- to be deported. Tom, a lot of people of in these provisions do Absolutely not have the no ability to articulate so, so, so their So the problem, the problem, Emir, e- e- just one at a time, please. So the problem you're saying is the length of time that people stay in these centres. So, the so does problem. that mean if they're there for six months and they're raped or abused or prostituted, so, then sorry, that, that's Michael, okay? Michael, you're, you're the one who's no, problem. because it's the system. Yes, no, no, but there's n- sorry, the system does not demand that crimes be carried out. No, the crimes are carried out. They need to be reported. The system facilitates it. Well, the system should not facilitate, and if the system is facilitating, then the guardian need to be involved. Well, okay, is the system facilitating it. I, I, I have not been given evidence of that, Michael, and if you have evidence of that it should be gone to the... You've never heard this I, said sorry, before. I, in terms of blaming the system, if there are individuals there who are doing this, they need to be rounded up and arrested and, and charged. But, and that's but the, the system doesn't allow... The system facilitates it. The, do do no, you agree? I, I, you don't I, agree? I, I do not accept that somebody's at risk of deportation if they report a crime, which is what you've been implying there in some of those questions. That <laughs> is not people, the case. Well, no, these people are afraid uh, of well, reporting they, I'm telling anything. them here and now, um, as an outgoing uh, member of Dáil Éireann, that yeah. they should not be afraid and I will stand over them if they report any crimes. Yeah, would you, would you go down and see them if they let you in? I you know, been, and that's I the system ha- sorry, that we're talking sorry, about. I have been in Mosley. I have been oh, in I know, I know, but you, and I've met, and but you heard they, the complaints of Breed Smith, who couldn't get into uh, 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 direct provision centre. Well, I have been in direct, uh, the, mm, the local mm, direct mm, provision centre on oh, a number of occasions, that, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, there would be no difficulty mm, if I drove mm, down there into Gwintworth now, and I have absolutely no doubt about that. And any TD Helen McEntee, as an outgoing government representative, as an outgoing minister, do you accept that there are legitimate concerns that I'm expressing to you? Well, I would agree with Thomas and that if any crimes are committed, nobody should be afraid to go to the Gardaí and that's are. always the case. But they well, are. If, so, if they are, I'm sorry so, that so, they feel so, like so, that. So, but so, we need so, to so if they shouldn't be, and they are, uh, should you not be apologising for failing them? Well, what we've done in the last number of years to try and make sure that firstly they're not in uh, these systems but for longer well we've reduced the waiting time some of them seven or eight years to I think a maximum of around two years now people can work within that time so they can go and I've been to Namazi myself and one of the main things that people said to me and in particular men is that we've come from our own country where we're working where mm. we're providing for our family we can't do that now it's impacting on our health Charlie Flanagan has changed the law so that people can work while they are waiting mm. for either approval or not approval and 
unfortunately we have some people who are not approved but they are in regular contact with members of various different services and providers and society and so you know to say that there isn't an opportunity or it's not available to them if something horrendous like that happens and and I mean Mm. again if something like that horrendous happens the Gardaí are there to support them whether or not they have been approved this is a a Mm. crime against an individual that nobody should accept whether or not they have asylum status or not so I, I don't accept that the system prevents them from uh, raising these issues like, or reporting crimes. What I'm saying is we still have a lot of work to do yeah. to make sure that when they do get their asylum approval, that they have their jobs, that they're able to contribute okay. to society okay. here, that they can put a roof over their own heads right, right. Uh, and that they are part of this. I'd say I could speak yeah. for every uh, uh, TD in Don Aaron mm. that if somebody came to my office and said they were afraid I to talk to Garda Shikana, I would go with them to oh, the Garda I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you. I absolutely. I don't. Think I, don't, it's I, mean, that, I, don't I don't doubt it. But you. But I think, but the, but, but, but the message you're putting out there is that they should be afraid to do that. No, it's not that they should be. It's that be. they are. But they, they of should. Of course, they're afraid. To they probably come out and, and tell. And we we'll give them every support. Oh, I know. I know you would. I know you would. But they are afraid to do that. I would say, of course, they're afraid to do that. It's only in the last few years that we've heard about the you know, the absolutely horrendous conditions that so many of them are living under and, and, you know, they get 17 or 20 euro a week and this is what they have to pay, you know, for their toiletries. Well, I'm sorry. But on the basic level, their dignity has been stripped I'm sorry, Amir, if you've only heard about that in the last few years because some of us have been listening to those concerns and talking about them for 20 years. It's only recently that they have been allowed to come out on the radio and talk about it. We were talking about the They were never given a voice on the radio only up to recent years. Andrew Keegan. Small point that you should make: Women who are sexually abused or assaulted or raped in this country, who are not even directly mm. just Irish women, right? And men as well. But sexual assault is badly handled here. It, women get a raw deal. They don't report rape cases because the whole thing about court. It's it's whatever. So you're talking about women in, in, who are vulnerable in direct provision. They're going to get something better. They, they know damn well they're not. Mm. But the point is, all uh, all, all candidates should just say, let's get rid of direct provision. That's my position. That's their position. But like as soon as you go in, whoever gets in, in power, just get rid of it because it's okay. You you're going to get rid of direct provision, ain't you? Yeah, I would absolutely. Fianna Fáil. Well, you can't because okay. It, uh, can I just say why? Because a when a refugee system. comes to this country and seeks asylum. You have to put them up. Okay, fin- not for ten years. No, I, I has been the case. Fin- fin- Finnegan, fin- Helen McIntyre. What do you do when they come in? You have please, to put them up. Please, well, we have to provide a far better, better plan. system, and we need to improve it further. But we okay. do have to have a structure in place that we can go through the okay. process with the person. Finnegan, okay. okay. the last okay. one. Just, I'm just, better. I'm just going to finish briefly with the North South Interconnector. We're going to talk to the campaign group in a moment. We heard from Airgrid yesterday. North East Planning Pressure Campaign are calling for the planning approval to be withdrawn. Do you think that there's any merit in their argument, Minister? Well, I was at the meeting last night. I was one of few representatives that stayed for the whole night because I wanted to listen and hear uh, the concerns that people have. I have always, as a member of Fine Gael and part of this government, pushed to try and ensure that this is put underground. Yes, planning approval has been granted, but it hasn't been granted in the north since Richard Bruton has become Minister for uh, Communications and the Environment we have pushed him to look at the alternatives the other options that are there the costing of putting it underground and I will continue to do so that whether I'm elected or not so that and means, whether I'm in government So or that not. means the planning should not be withdrawn? Well th- the planning has been approved but at the okay. same time well, that's the answer, at the yeah. same time okay. if Burn. we can find just, another just way to a, do it then uh, yes I will be pushing for that. On, on a brief point that, that Helen mentioned about um, TD's not staying for the whole of the meeting. I left because the TV3 show that I was booked onto for the last week was on early. Shane Castles had a family mm. bereavement as well and that's why he left. We okay. were there. Yeah. I sat and people TV. would have seen you on uh, Virgin Media. They I, call TG3 okay, now. Yeah. Shane Castles yeah. had a family yeah. bereavement yeah. Yeah. and yeah. I... Mm. 
I uh, set out the Fianna Fáil mm. position very clearly at the start of the meeting, and I, I've attended. Should all, the all planning meetings. be withdrawn? Our position is that we want we want no further progress on this project until the full terms of the Dáil motion that Fianna Fáil put forward a number of years ago are implemented. In other words, that there's a full review in relation to heritage, landscape, okay. uh, culture, tourism. So you're somewhere in between. We've set out exactly what we want yep. to do in the Fianna okay. Fáil Dáil yeah, motion, and that has not okay. been implemented. Okay. And we all want right. that fully reviewed and no further progress until then. Andrew Keegan of Solidarity People Before Profit. What do you think about this? Well. Th- the whole thing about planning, there's, there's issues with planning, uh, it's infrastructure, right? So the, the people in, in Mideast, just like any other communities in north of Dublin, uh, Galway, you know, Galway, Cork, whatever, we're looking for infrastructure to be put in place. There always seems to be an issue in relation to how, how it goes ahead. The parameters always seem to change. So we, we, we canvassed in Kells there on Saturday and people said, well, just, just be clear, uh, you know, have it done properly. And, and get it done. And people have been waiting. There's been promises for the last 10, 20 years. And they say, well, look, let's get some bit of infrastructure because there's a deficit. And that's that's what I'm okay. hearing at the door. All right. What about this particular piece of infrastructure, Imertobi and Abain Yeah, no, Pala put in a bill a few years ago looking to, to mm. get this underground. So that that's where we stand on that. There's no there's no change on that. And I suppose... But the planning it, has been granted to go pla- overground. Yeah, well, we, we, have to, we have to put a pause. Okay, we've got to leave there. Thank you indeed uh, to each of you for coming into us. Before you leave, though, maybe a very, very brief wrap-up uh, from my left around the table. First of all, Minister Helen McEntee of Fine Gael. What I would say is I have seen this country and this county in particular go through an utter transformation in the past 10 years. We've gone from mass unemployment to now more people working than ever before. The only reason that this has happened is because we have put the policies in place, but most importantly, we have worked with the people in this county to create an environment that jobs can be created, that people are back at work and we now have a stable economy. The only way that we can now invest in issues like childcare, housing, health, uh, infrastructure and so much more is by maintaining that security economy but also ensuring that we get a good deal on Brexit and what I would ask people is to think about who do you trust to to, to manage our economy and we have form in this regard but most importantly who do you trust to get the right deal with the UK because it will have a serious impact uh, but but can I just say if you know if if things don't go the right way obviously it's it's been a pleasure to represent and to work with people in Meadies but hopefully I will get an opportunity to keep working for them Thank you Uh, Thomas Byrne of Fianna Fáil Fianna Fáil is campaigning to change the government and to change the direction of the country we want to bring that aspiration to home ownership back the aspiration uh, to a council house back uh, to people we want delivery uh, not promises. And Michael, we want to get law and order on our streets. Okay. We want to ensure that the chief superintendent can go into court and say that such a person is a member of a gang and that that evidence of a chief super would be accepted by the Special Criminal Court and keep our people safe. Okay. Andrew Keegan of Solidarity People Before Profit. Yeah, uh, well, what we're looking for is because we're kind of single issue campaign. We want the end of bogus self employment. There's over 200,000 people, retail, hospitality, and construction, bogus self employment. They're going to be impacted massively on pensions. We want the whole pension thing on pensions at uh, 65. I want construction workers to be retired at 60 or, or 55. We want uh, basically to break the cycle, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Tweedledee, Tweedledum. We want to get rid of them, have a more working, working, workers representative in the Dáil and really we need to represent people and not businesses. Okay, Emer Tobin of Aintu. Meath has three, had three sitting ministers and yet what has been done in Meath in the last two decades? We have uh, a hospital that is still under massive threat even though in the in the uh, 2011 pre-election uh, campaign, David English said we'll have a new hospital in County Meath. The train, which has been uh, another promise for years and years and years, is absolutely no further on. So what we want to do is, Ainthu stands for something in this county, in this country. It stands for robust work ethic. It stands for democracy. Not just democracy, but a functioning democracy. 
It is about sticking to one's principles and following one's um, convictions. It's also about implementing the reality of a far better, far fairer, far more equitable, self-sustaining society where nobody is left behind. We are a party for real change. Not the change that Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael are talking about, but real change. Give us a chance to show you what we can do we are going to bring democracy back and accountability. Okay. All right. Well, the election's on the 8th of February. Thank you, everybody, for coming into us today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, we'll continue with uh, that conversation about uh, the North-South interconnector and uh, following on from what the election candidates say. We go to what the campaign group is saying, Northeast Pile and Pressure, saying uh, that the planning permission for the project should be withdrawn over what it calls a calamity of errors and issues. That it says materially affect planning compliance and public consultation. So we are in a a world of fake news and I'm afraid this is um, a a classic example. That's the verdict to that claim from AirGrid. It's spokesperson David Martin speaking to me yesterday. Porrick O'Reilly, spokesperson for NEPPC is on the line and a very good morning to Porrick. Obviously a good turnout at your meeting again last night. Uh, Good morning Michael. Yeah, a very big turnout uh, last night. There were over 400 there and um, any time we have a meeting, even though this is a, going on a long, long time, there's always a big turnout, which I think goes to the heart of the, the point that this is, is a real issue for people and, and remains so. But the latest claims you've made have been rubbished by AirGrid as a, a misinterpretation of documentation you've had sight of. Well, um, I only quickly heard uh, that interview yesterday, Michael, but uh, I went back over the documentation that we have and we stand over what we say in terms of the what's in black and white in correspondence under freedom of information. I should add that um, you know this would all be cleared up very easily if Airgrid were following proper procedures because they are supposed to put a project agreement together uh, with ESB that is supposed to be made available to the public. Yeah. It's supposed to have been done a long time ago and there's a whole lot of covert stuff going on uh, behind a lot of our freedom of information requests well, there's and discussion it gets dragged going on. and dragged and dragged well, and well, if, well, if the produce that it would be very easy Michael but well, from what I've seen so far we stand over what we say. Well what they're saying is uh, that you're interpreting discussion to be decisions uh, and that this is a process and uh, as part of uh, that process obviously there is discussion and uh, the correspondence shows what's being discussed but this process has not been complete. No but Michael uh, that, that's that's uh, if you, uh, that's a load of baloney to be honest because I'm reading black and white not about a discussion I'm reading about uh, facts that are stated in terms of what was sent to the uh, to the people who got the tender uh, in relation to the design. Well, I'm we, happy we, to send we, the we, information in but we, it's we, we, we heard we, we heard yesterday very clearly that the pylon design as submitting submitted to onboard Planola will be the design that it's used. Well, that's not what that, that's not what I'm seeing here. I, I can read out a piece if you like where it says uh, you know the design is X. It's 19 meters wide, but what we sent to the to the, uh, to the tenders is different. It actually says the word different, and it's 18.5 mm. meters. Okay, and uh, um, that was in in um, in um, March 18. So you might say, okay, things have changed since then. But there is a report as late as May 19, May 19, saying there's there's a whole lot of changes uh, to the to the design, and bear in mind the contract 
contract was awarded in June 19. So as far as we're concerned, the information is up to date and shows changes. I think more importantly, what he'd lost over was on the on the depth of the pylons, which well, he, he did not deny was the situation. He, that they he, may look for you're four, saying four, that four, it, four or five, 4.5 well, metres depth. He, he said that they inquired about that. You're saying that they will require four and a half metres and they applied and got permission for three and a half metres. He said that they inquired about four and a half metres, but they expected to be three and a half metres. No, Michael, uh, again, that's that's incorrect because the correspondence we have says that they did not include uh, the, the pile foundations, which will have to be below 3.5 metres. This is what ESPN is saying to Airgrid. Mm. So you have to take the context here. This is These are our, our com- discussions uh, uh, between ESPN and Airgrid. ESPN are going to build uh, the pylons, or they think they are, um, and Airgrid are, are responding to questions from ESPN. Well, so, I, I have to take what uh, an authorised spokesperson for our grid says to us in good faith and he said they expected it to be three and a half metres that they did inquire about it being four and a half metres just in case but they don't expect that to be necessary well, with all due respect, Michael, I don't think why why you, you, you should jump to the assumption you have to take in, in good faith. I mean, the people of Leash Kilkenny took it in good faith that Airgood would uh, would comply with the planning conditions, and the first thing they did was breach the planning conditions, and that's only a year and a half ago. There's a history here of, of not respecting the planning conditions, and until the proper information is published, all we can do is chase freedom of information and track this down, and anything mm. we put out in the public domain is based on fact. Okay, but and we I'm put, telling we, you, we, as a we, matter we, of fact, mm. they they have put in in the planning application a request for three and a half metres depth, but they actually need to go deeper. But do you understand so the point of putting to you? Except that is okay uh, without withdrawing the uh, the planning application is another question. Okay, but Porrick, but, but that's I, a factual I, I, situation. But what I'm saying to you is, you, you you put that information into the public domain you, by issuing a press release. We sent that press release onto Airgrid. Uh, their official spokesperson said it's not the case. Fine, but I mean, what? How many things have they said are not the case? I mean, not so long ago, Michael, you will you will remember that uh, you got a press release from the, the Department of Communications uh, and Climate Action on, on an issue around access, and through freedom of information, we found out that that press release for Batham had come from Airgrid, even though you got it from the department. We had David Martin coming on before stating that they could do various things in relation to land access, and he had to come on later on and and. Uh, explained that when he said we, he meant ESPN and Airgrid, not not Airgrid itself. So I mean, every time we have challenged this, we have okay. we have been proven to be correct and accurate, yeah, right. and Airgrid have been proven to be the opposite. Okay, Parag, we have to leave people to make their own minds up because our time has run out. But thank you indeed for joining us uh, here on the program this morning. Parag O'Reilly, spokesperson for the Northeast Pilot Pressure Campaign, brings our program to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning at nine a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.
subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.